Welcome back to the Strategic Meeting Tech Podcast. The Strategic Meeting Tech Podcast is your podcast source for news and discussion of the meetings and events industry. Each week, we bring you stories of new technologies, new ideas, and new directions that will directly affect all of us in the meetings and events industry. I'm your host, John Trask. I'm a CMP, a CMM, and I'm a 30-year veteran of both the audiovisual and meetings and events industry. And welcome back to the Strategic Meeting Tech Podcast. Uh, we have a guest on the show today that uh, is a, a good friend of mine. We've uh, talked to her a number of times on previous podcasts and things, so it's great to have her back. Uh, that's Tracy Stuckrath. Uh, hello, Tracy. Hello, John. Uh, Tracy, nice to be here. <laughs> and it's it's always great to talk with you. I really uh, I really appreciate the uh, perspective that you bring to the meetings industry, and, and sort of your passion, which I think we're going to get uh, get into here for a bit. But I do want to sort of give a plug for your actual company as well, which is Thrive Meetings and Events. You're a meeting planner, but you're also uh, a meeting planner with food allergies, and you've kind of made it a personal mission to sort of change the hospitality industry and help planners find a way to be more inclusive and to have better uh, nutritional options at their events. So I know you do a lot of sessions and things on that. I know you're a speaker as well, and many people have probably heard from you, but uh, I just I wanted to uh, give you some uh, laud for that. I, I'm trying to find the right word, and I can't, to say uh, you do a great job. Thank you. I appreciate that. It is my passion, and... I sometimes I get, yeah, I get really excited about it. <laughs> that's, that's the great thing. We need people like that in the industry. You know, we need people who, who have yep. a passion for finding something that needs to be improved and uh, fixed and, and diving into it wholeheartedly. And that's something that I know you've done over the past few years. And, um, so we, what we were going to talk about first today, we had a couple of things to maybe touch on, but I, I guess this is actually um, sort of a nutrition-related month. There's uh, something going on this month that we were going to talk about. Yeah, it's Vegetarian Awareness Month, and I am going to be doing a couple of different blog posts and recipe postings on my website this month, but I think that there's a lot of confusion out there of what a vegetarian is. And so I thought we could talk about that. Okay. And your website is thrive, uh, thrivemeetings.com. And I'll put a link to that within uh, my posting. So folks can come and see okay, your blog great. and find out more info. Um, but let's dive right in then. Tell me a little bit more about, uh, about what we're talking here. So vegetarians, I've been a meeting planner for 25 years. And when you order food and beverage, quote unquote, way back then, you know, your chefs and your would always include the vegetarian option. It was just a thing that you did. Um, nowadays, there's a whole variety of different dietary needs that we accommodate and vegetarian and vegan are still there. But I think we're getting a lot more different vegetarians out there and who, who are also actually requesting a better quality vegetarian meal. So I wanted to give a little bit of an explanation about them and what the different types are. So, well, let's uh, let's ahead. let's do that because uh, basically, looking at uh, it, it just seems that people want a more personalized experience. It used to be that you would have, like you say, the one choice, probably pasta or something like that, and now they've or a salad, and they've they've now got people who've defined things a little more uniquely. And so those definitions are, are vegetarian and vegan and what else? 
vegetarian, vegan, pescatarian, and you can break the regular vegetarian out to be a lacto-vegetarian or an ovo-vegetarian. So lacto, um, there's a vegetarian that does that does um, consume milk but does not eat eggs, and ovo meaning they eat eggs but they don't um, eat milk. And then one that I heard last year um, at the Natural Products Expo, Expo was pegan, which is combining paleo diet with a vegan diet. So, and then there's others who call themselves flexitarians. So um, if you don't, there's a lot of different descriptions out there and people have tagged themselves different ways. But I think if we understand the general, general, generalization of each, Mm -hmm. we can provide some good options for our attendees going forward. And like you mentioned, some people just get pasta plates. My friend, Jesse, just a couple of months ago, I think is what she, she told me this, that she got a roasted carrot that was sliced and that was for dinner. Ugh. And that's just, in my opinion, not acceptable. No, uh, it's, it's interesting because this, uh, this relates to a number of other things we've talked about on the podcast and talked about previously beyond talking with you about the nutritional side of things, but it's just making your meeting be inclusive and making people feel welcome and, and, in this case, giving them an actual meal that's nutritionally correct and that's going to uh, keep them alert and learning in the environments that we're trying to create for people to learn. Because if you're hungry, you're not paying attention to uh, the rest of the meeting. Correct. And you don't have the energy to focus. And you really need to do that. And, and I think it's also... A term that I've been using lately is a seat at the table. And I think it's just an ethical thing that we need to do is to provide everybody an equal quality meal because we're all paying the same amount of money. Just because I don't eat meat doesn't mean that I shouldn't have a vegetarian meal that is the same quality as someone else's. Right, right. Well, and I know... You know, there is some room for creativity, and I know there are some great chefs out there doing really, really good vegetarian, vegan, and, and some of these other types of meals. Um, there was one you mentioned, because you talked about the ovo, but what it was pescatarian. That, I know that relates to fish, but is that someone who eats fish but not any other animal? Correct. So, so let's start with just the regular vegetarian first. Okay. So, the true, de- the true definition of a vegetarian is lacto-ovo. So it, that diet consists of foods that are mostly derived from plants, um, vegetables, fruits, grains, beans, legumes, um, nuts, but they do not consume any meat, fish, shellfish, pork, poultry, game, or their byproducts except for eggs, milk, and honey. And I know that was a lot. So it's an individual recapping that it's an individual who doesn't eat the actual meat or flesh of an animal land or sea, but does eat their byproducts, which would be eggs and milk, dairy products and honey. Okay. Um, and so when you start with that basis, you've got, you know, that's a true vegetarian. And then you've got a pescatarian who avoids all land animals, but does eat seafood. Okay. So eats fish and shellfish. So that's the, the only thing that they're adding to the diet is um, besides the eggs, milk, and honey is actually adding the fish and shellfish product to it. So um, they're giving a little bit of that animal protein, but from, a, from the sea instead of the land. Mm-hmm. 
And then, go ahead. I just was going to say, I know that some of these things can, can also be a religious preference, which is just something to be aware of, because um, I was I was married uh, previously to someone whose religion kept them from eating pork or shellfish. And so they, Correct. you know, they had a religious component to the way that they ate. Correct. And that's a whole nother um, conversation because <laughs> there are every different, every religion has different restrictions and or guidelines or rules or laws, whatever you want to call them, based on what they think is safe for their followers to consume. Mm -hmm. um, the one that you mentioned is kosher, and they avoid all shellfish, and they avoid uh, pork, and they don't eat meat and dairy at the same meal. So you have to pay the things into pay attention to that. And if you're trying to, when you're doing your registration form or trying to accommodate them, and you want to, if those people are requesting that kosher meal, it's really good to ask them, do they need the certified kosher meal, or are they okay eating a vegetarian or vegan meal. Some of them are. Mm -hmm. And then again, some of them are not. So paying attention to, to how that plays into it is very, very important. Uh, when you're talking about registering people, uh, that brings to mind a question for me. Is, is this something that can be considered uh, too intrusive by folks? Or is this something that people really want the opportunity to share and talk about what they personally need as far as for whatever reason? It depends on the person. I had somebody answer a comment on one of my blog posts saying my food allergy is my, is my business and I'll manage it for myself. But my personal opinion and, and what I teach and quote unquote preach is that that person is attending the conference or paying $500 or whatever, $1,000 to come to this conference that includes meal function. And as a meeting planner, to me, it's my duty of care and my responsibility, legal, ethically, and financially, to provide you a meal that's safe and delicious. And I think that we, we use open-ended boxes and we leave a lot of room for assumption. And so some people are willing to share and some are not. Um, and you have to be cognizant of that, but also if they come back to you at the end of the day and they haven't communicated that need, then it's it's their responsibility to communicate that need. And I don't want to say that they're at fault, but they kind of are at fault. Right. So I don't want I don't want them to go away hungry and I don't want them to go away mad and unsatiated, but they need to also they have a responsibility of communicating their need. It's a two way street basically. And uh, but, but yes. You can ask open-ended questions and have fill-in areas and that sort of thing to allow people. And, and it, now if a person isn't familiar with the term, if somebody comes to them and they, says I'm, they say, I'm this type of uh, dietary uh, plan that I follow, uh, do you Google that? Uh, I know there's a lot, some resources on your website that you have some reference things and uh, stuff like that. So are there good sources to find out information if a planner isn't? familiar with the term? I mean, you can, I, I've, I've got information on different dietary restrictions and different dietary needs on my website, but I mean, you can Google vegan and you can Google paleo and you can Google food allergy, um, you know, peanut allergy or such and find things. There's, there's plenty of information out there on the World Wide web, but 
I also want you to make sure that you're getting it from a reliable source. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, and getting correct information because there's, there was a caterer I was talking to months ago or yeah, months ago. And he said, Oh, I'm making this great gluten-free salad and it's got barley in it. I'm like, I'm sorry, but gluten is in barley. That's not a gluten-free salad. And he looks at me and goes, Oh really? I didn't know that. So you need to make sure that the source that you're looking for on Google is, is a reputable source Mm -hmm. and is knowledgeable of what you're getting. So Yeah. I don't mean to discount anybody, but I also want to make sure you're getting the right information. No, that can be one of the challenges is, is making sure that information is credible. I I like to cross reference things. If I find something that stands out to me, I I often will try and find a corroborating source of a second uh, place just so that I can at least get it from a couple of angles. And I, of course, when I'm researching something like that, try and stick to like known news organizations and things as opposed necessarily to blogs, because even this podcast is a blog and this is our opinion that we're offering. It's not um, necessarily a legal uh, description of exactly how the world should be. And we're talking about based on our experiences and our, our set of backgrounds, the things that we, uh, that we've experienced. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, we got we got through the first couple of the um, of them. We were to pescatarian. So continue on tell, telling me about the uh, the other types of vegetarian. So you've got your vegetarian, and then you've got your pescatarian, and then you've got vegan. And a vegan individual um, avoids all products, meat, flesh, and byproducts of any land or sea animal. So. With the vegetarian, the vegetarian's eating the eggs, the milk, and honey, but a vegan avoids all of those products. Okay. Um, and it, it, you've got to, and they're just like there's different um, vegetarians. There's, I think, different levels of veganism. And I, and the example that I use is that there's Bill Clinton who went on a vegan diet because he was he was medically his doctor put him on one because he had a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And then you've got and he's changed his diet a little bit such, since then. And then you've got Al Gore, who's on, who follows the vegan diet for environmental reasons. And then you've got another vegan who follows it for um, animal rights activism. So they're going to be, each one of them is going to have a different level of, of where they search. And the reason I bring that up is that there are, the, you've got to check labels for, for vegan alcohol and sugar, because sugar actually you have to look for vegan sugar because some sugar has bone char in it. Hmm. Um, you've got to think about gelatin and, and things like that. So being a hundred percent vegan is, is very, very challenging and, um, but can be worthwhile depending on who that individual is and how, how strict they are. Right. I've, I've known got, people uh, who, who have also been put onto a, a vegan type diet for heart reasons. Uh, so yeah, I know that that's something that, that doctors will recommend for recovery sometimes. Yes. And, and then, but those individuals who are, who are follow for animal rights activism, they're, they're, I don't know if this is the right word to say, but die hard and they want to make sure that everything they have and they, they consume or they touch does not contain any kind of animal product um, at all. So um, paying attention to that. And it, you can't go up and say, oh, what kind of vegan are you? But right. do the best that you can in accommodating that vegan diet. 
Um, another option would be another vegetarian option or type is raw. And this individual um, believes that the most helpful food for the body is uncooked. So they, they are, they do heat up their food to be, to stay between 104 and 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but they don't eat most of the food that they eat is raw. So there again, there's not going to be any animal products in there because unless they choose to eat raw fish, et cetera, but um, it's going to be very nut based legumes, um, dry legumes, vegetables, fruits, um, but not cooked. So the last two that I really want to touch on is flexitarian and pegan. And flexitarian is an individual who chooses to eat less animal products in their diet on a daily basis or on a weekly basis. Um, If you've heard of the term um, meatless Monday, that would be an idea, an individual who is is kind of a flexitarian. So they're reducing the amount of meat in their diet um, on a weekly or daily basis. And there's individuals who follow, there's a diet out there called VB6, which is vegan before 6 p.m. So they eat no animal products in the land and sea until 6 p.m. and only eat it at dinner. So that's an individual that's kind of considered a flexitarian. Okay. And then the other term that I heard last year, and I mentioned a few minutes ago, was pegan. And this is a combination of vegan and paleo. And paleo is not a vegetarian diet because it actually relies a lot on animal products, and but they avoid all grains, all beans, all legumes, all milks, sugar, processed foods. So then they're removing the animal products as well. So they're literally eating seeds and nuts, fruits, and vegetables. And so they really, um, kind of like that raw diet, really limited or reduced their consumption of a lot of different foods. So that's a little bit harder to do. I don't think you're going to get a lot of them at your meetings or they're not going to tell you that they're quote unquote pegan, but that is a diet that some individuals are following these days. Okay. Wow. So there, that's uh, that's a lot to keep track of. I can see some planners out yeah. there sort of rolling their eyes or throwing up their hands trying to figure out how to manage this. So I know you, you make some things to help a little bit. And how do you tell a planner who's overwhelmed by this what to do? What ideas do you have for them? I think the first step is to is with your registration form. And instead of just leaving it as an open-ended box, do check boxes. And I think doing it. So do you have um, any, first of all, start in your, in the part about Americans with Disabilities Act, because one of the biggest issues that I hear from planners is that how do you know if it's a preference or a need? Mm -hmm. And I, because eating was added to the Americans with Disabilities Act in 2008, as well as all of our bodily functions, food allergies, celiac disease, diabetes, now all fall under the ADA. So if you ask the question, do you have under the ADA question, do you have any medically diagnosed, any dietary medical needs that we need to pay attention to? Under that question, then you know that it is actually a need versus a preference. Mm -hmm. And then you can ask that question, do you have any dietary preferences? And I would put pegan or not pegan, vegan and vegetarian and gluten-free and halal and kosher under those. 
but using checkboxes. And then I would always use an open-ended question for other, just in case you've got somebody who doesn't fall into those categories, but has a need that's outside of them. Like like Um, a flexible you were talking about. Yeah, flexitarian, I'm thinking more along the lines of somebody who's got a heart condition that has to eat a specific way, which, um, or doesn't necessarily know where they fall into. I, not that we don't want to accommodate the dietary needs of everyone, but it is very hard to do so. And if somebody's on a low carb diet, just to be on a low carb diet, we can't do a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of different things all the time. We, we need to do our best, but sometimes it's hard. Sure. And um, then when, once you do the registration form and you use checkboxes, the other thing about checkboxes, it helps reduce your sorting ability and reduces your time of having to decipher what is written into open-ended boxes. Okay. So that helps that. Um, but then when you get to registration, on-site registration, I think either tagging someone's label or handing them a meal card um, that says, hey, I'm, I'm gluten-free or I'm gluten-free, dairy-free or I'm pescatarian, really gives them the ability to communicate directly with, with the servers who are giving them their food. Mm-hmm. And it's a clear way to do it rather than saying, oh, raise my hand, I've got this. And I do have cards that I've designed. You can find them under my website, um, under the word, under store, thrivemeetings.com slash store. Mm-hmm. And... You can hand those out to those individuals. Um, I've seen other groups that have put a code on their name badge or color-coded a name badge for a different reason. So there's a lot of different ways, but I think increasing the communication ability between the attendee and the server is is prime opportunity for a good experience um, and improving that, ex- that experience for them. Um. When you're not having a server in the mix, well, I'm sorry, did you? Ha- I didn't mean to cut you off there. Uh, was nope. there more to say on that? Go, no. Nope. Okay. No, nope, go ahead. When, when you don't have a server in the mix, let's say uh, you're looking at what you're going to serve on a break, um, do you have suggestions for, uh, for how to handle all of these different types of groups within a break? Is there a way you can do it, or do you just put out a certain thing and hope that, <laughs> hope that everybody's happy with it? Um, that's what we always do is hope that everybody's happy with it. I think besides giving meal tickets, I think labeling your buffets, um, and your menus is huge. Um, and it improves the communication between everybody. And I think labeling them with the allergens that they contain, Mm -hmm. as well as the dietary needs that they meet. So contains nuts, contains fish is gluten-free. Um, is vegan or vegetarian is very, very important because letting me know that something is nut free or dairy free doesn't really let me know what's actually in it. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the first part on buffets and breaks, but on breaks, you know, making sure that you do have items that are free of, even though I just said that, but are dairy free or gluten free is huge. So fresh fruits and vegetables, um, you can do, uh, oh, now my mind just went blank, um, for break ideas, you know, hummus is a great option. You can serve, make sure you're serving it with crudite as well as crackers. And if your crackers, you get gluten-free crackers, okay. um, certified gluten-free crackers, 
and or if you you are going to do hummus and you're going to serve cracker gluten filled crackers and and crudite, make sure that you have separate separate bowls of that or in separate different places on the buffet because somebody could dip their cracker into that hummus and now now make it inedible for those individuals. Right, right. Um, the you can do different salads. Um, on the break, you can do make your own granola bars mm-hmm. um, or granola cups. That would be great. Um, smoothies are a good option um, for breaks as well. And um, uh, I've I've noticed that more and break. more the la- the last couple of meetings I've been to I've noticed more and more uh, kind of flexible options being put out at breaks. It's it's something that uh, that I've seen at like WEC and and uh, at the CMP Conclave that I was just at where they had a lot of different things laid out and you could go through and pick what you wanted to uniquely and make your own mix of of maybe a trail mix type thing or something like that. So I've I've been seeing more and more people doing those sorts of things instead of just having a pile of granola bars out. Yeah, and I love it because because it does let people pick and choose what they want. My only concern with it, because I and I worked an event last year that did this, they put each bowl of all the different options right up next to each other, like touching. And so when I took something out of one, you're going to drop it on something else mm-hmm. and potentially cross-contaminate it. So if you're talking allergen items, like if you've got nuts, put them on a different side of the buffet than some of the other things that are not nuts so that you're not potentially contaminating them. And it, there's things that we can do and things that we cannot control, but right. doing our due diligence on it, um, we can do the best that we can on it, but, but make people aware. And, and one of the things too, John, I think on the registration form is when you're doing this is saying, we recognize your allergen or we recognize your dietary need. We will work to the best of our ability with our caring partners to provide you options and meals that meet your needs. But please note that the environment is not completely free of your allergen. Right. Um, because unless the venue was designed that way from the get-go, you know, there's flour in the air, there's, you know, peanuts, crumbs somewhere you know so you've got to be conscious of that it it seems like really what a lot of this comes down to like so many things is communication and and having an active conversation going on between the caterer the planner and the attendees and everyone has a responsibility within that nobody's 100 percent responsible for it but everybody needs to be in the conversation correct and one of the other questions I get from planners a lot is like, whose responsibility is it? And I think it's everyone's responsibility. It's the attendee's responsibility to let you know that they have a dietary need or preference. It's your responsibility as a meeting planner to gather that information from them and then clearly communicate that information to your food and beverage provider and and then following up with that food and beverage provider. And then that food and beverage provider has the due diligence and the responsibility for ensuring that it's in a, is at as safe of an environment as possible for those attendees and then communicating back out, you know, what's the process uh, that these people are going to get fed? Are they going to get special plates? Are they going to eat off the buffet? 
um, are the are the buffets and the menus labeled, and who is the person that they should talk to at an event in case they get sick or in case they have questions. Mm-hmm. But in and then then in the end, it is my per, my responsibility as the person with the need that if I question the meal, to not eat it, um, right. you know, or to to find you know talk to somebody to make sure that it's safe for me. Right. Right. So, well, it's a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of good information here. Um, I know that it's a, it's a concern for planners because, again, we're, we're a hospitality industry and, and you want to make people feel welcome and, and happy and satisfied at your events. And uh, so breaking it down into, into this elements of communication and ways to approach it is, uh, is I think, a great start for folks. And again, there's a lot of this uh, reference material on your website that people can go check out. Uh, also, I, I mentioned when we were first starting out that you, uh, you do a lot of speaking to groups. And I know you're going to be at IMEX next week because we're going to say hello while we're there. So uh, any little preview of what you're going to be talking about there at IMEX? Yeah, I'm actually going to be, I've got five different sessions that I'm doing, uh, craziness. Um, Monday, I'm in, which is Smart Monday, I'm going to be in the playroom that um, Sharon Fisher is putting together, um, Sharon Fisher from Play With a Purpose, and we're going to do a um, meeting menu matchup, so doing a, a couple of different interactive games on how to plan your menus out. Tyra Hilliard and I are doing a session on legalities of di- accommodating dietary restrictions. And I'm doing another session with Marielle McElrath um, on sustainable food and beverage. Great. So, and then I think I've, I've got one on food waste food as waste. well. Yeah, I saw so, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a couple of different options. I think I'm speaking Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So, and, and, um, just a reminder, I, IMAX is all free. So mm-hmm. if uh, if you're in Las Vegas, you can come to any of these sessions. There's no charge for them and uh, and be able to talk to you in person and share some of this knowledge and information uh, in a number of different areas, liability, food waste, um, sustainability, and uh, and menu matching. So Yeah, it's challenging so hopefully we can provide them some information <laughs> well there's quite a there, there's quite a, a broad spectrum there for people to choose from you've got a little bit of everything that you're uh, that you're touching on while you're there so that's terrific and i think it's great of imex to uh, to be able to present that to uh, to folks at no charge so um i'm looking forward to seeing you at imex and having a chance to uh, to talk again and uh, maybe we'll even do another podcast while we're there um but uh, I really appreciate you taking time today to talk about um, all of these uh, various aspects of vegetarian and vegan and, and such and just some of the different ramifications and ways that people can work with it. So thank you very much again. Thank you, John. I appreciate the ability to, to chat. And a final thank you to everyone listening, and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. This has been the Strategic Meeting Tech Podcast, your podcast source for news and discussions of the meetings and events industry. You can find out more about Strategic Meeting Tech at our website, www.strategicmeetingtech.com. There you'll find resources and information about how we help planners to create better audiovisual and technology outcomes at their events. Our music is provided by Steph Sachs, under license from the Creative Commons, and you can find out more information and links to the artists there on our website as well. Please send any comments or show suggestions to John, J-O-N, at strategicmeetingtech.com. Thanks for listening.